you guys can turn with me or look on your screen at Luke 6, uh, verses 12 to 23. We're going to be in Luke 6 today, and I'm kicking off our series on family, on mission, and uh, really excited about this next month or more where we will, we will explore this, different facets of what it means to be a family on mission. Um, if you guys can stand with me, and let's read aloud together. The word of the Lord. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated. Simon, who is named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to be cured of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in the Jewish culture in this day, to be a rabbi uh, was a most revered kind of thing. And rabbis in that day would, would have would call up students who were exceptional, um, who were really good at learning the Torah. And so, you know, one commentator said they would even use the language that they would, that these students would be dead to their old life and walk in this new life of following their rabbi. There was even a blessing that was spoken over these students of rabbis, these best of the best kind of students. And that was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Um, and so walking in and out of a, uh, being dead to one life and walking in this new life, does that sound familiar? And so here, Jesus, it gives some context. It helps us with some understanding, right? When in passages prior to this in the gospel accounts, Jesus would call not just these 12, but others, other disciples too, right? And, and ask them to follow him. And they would just drop everything and leave him. 
and leave their stuff. Their family trade. Some were revolutionaries called zealots. Some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. And I always found it odd that they would just get up and, and, and follow him, except for this context now, right? Doesn't that, doesn't that help us understand, oh my gosh, the, the rabbi's choosing me. <laughs> He's choosing me. What, what was implied is, by their trade was that they hadn't made it in culture. They hadn't made it as students of other rabbis, other Jewish, other religious leaders, right? But here, Jesus is saying, I choose you. And so among these disciples, and in this passage, Jesus calls 12. And he calls them apostles. Now, this is significant, this word, because they would know that this was a Greek term used for leaders who would take musicians and engineers and architects and all facets of their culture to a newly occupied state and not just rule over that which they just conquered, but replace its culture. They would bring their kingdom and replace the occupied state's kingdom. Does that sound familiar? That the kingdom of this world are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And it's significant that Jesus would then go on to cleanse people, to heal them, to cast out demons, and then preach the best sermon ever preached. The pressure's off this morning. Jesus would proclaim and Jesus would demonstrate the gospel before them and say, this in my pattern and power, I am calling you as apostles to do, to establish my church and to establish my kingdom in not yet places where people like in Ukraine are being oppressed or being persecuted to bring that light into the darkness. And so he calls these 12, and he calls them to do this in community, right? I think it's hard for you and me to even imagine the kind of community that Jesus imagines. And we're going to go deeper than imagination here this morning. But, you know, being in an individualistic culture here in the U.S., and having grown up in the church myself, you know, I, I would find... I. There were metrics we use in the church that were very personal or individualistic that reflected our culture, like how are you doing in your personal walk with God? Um, you know, are, are you growing individually in your relationship with Jesus? Or, you know, are you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing according to the word of God? But oftentimes, as an we'd be asking those questions to each other as individuals, right? Not so much as a community. It's kind of like, it'd be like even for a spirit-filled believer who was detached from community, it'd kind of be like, you know, a brand new bicycle tire. Just great tread, full of air, ready to go, but not attached to the frame. Or like a, a leaf that's getting air and water and sunlight, but it's not attached to the plant giving it carbon dioxide, nor receiving life from the plant. It's just not able to fulfill its intended purpose. But, you know, Jesus says, or we as believers are bound to Jesus. 
And by being bound to Jesus, we are bound to each other. So I think, I'm sure, he has something far greater in mind than what we know. And this is something we are just pressing into and learning more about. What does it mean to be a family? Um, If you could put up the first slide. I'm going to turn around and read it because those lights... Um, uh, and then go to the next one after the passage. Keep going to, to the Mark passage. Keep going. There should be a bunch of slides. If not, I have it here. That's it? All right. I got it right here, man. It's all right. Jesus imagines every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And I want to look at Mark 10.30 with you. Let's see. He says, I assure you, I want you to look at this design and promise of the abundant life found in community. He says, I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters, or mothers, or father, or children, or property, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now, in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have abundant life. Jesus is promising us abundant life now, in community, a hundred times more than what we would have if we tried to go it alone. Because we as believers can still try to go it alone. Like, like just because we've made a decision to follow Jesus doesn't mean that without intentionality, we will be in family on mission. And so there can be any number of reasons why we don't do this as believers in Jesus. We could be fearful because of past hurts in relationship, right? We don't want to get close and we don't want to get hurt again. Because we were legitimately hurt by people who were supposed to love us well. And so we don't enter in to this abundant life, this community where trust can again, can be earned with new people, right? And where we can experience the richness of what we have in Christ with one another. Or maybe we are fearful of offending someone from a different culture because as God brings us into the family on mission, we're diverse family, right? These 12 were diverse who Jesus called to follow him. And and even the the other disciples who followed him too, they were diverse. Unlike those students of other religious leaders, this was a diverse bunch of folks. And so, but we might we might feel like, oh, what if I offend? And in fear of what of not knowing what we don't know, we don't get close to someone who's different than us. And so we don't enter into the richness that such diversity could bring our faith, can bring us in community, and what Jesus means for this abundant life. We might just prefer to be alone. <laughs> and versus being with people, you know. And um, I would just say to examine that in you, if that's you, because. It's not just a matter of justifying, right? Well, I'm an introvert, and I'm not picking on introverts this morning. Um, You know, but uh, 
but justifying from a place that's just not quite whole, that's not engaging, that's, that's being passive toward being in family on mission and entering in with intentionality. So, you know, Jesus is after us entering in to deep relationship, and it's unhealthy and incomplete to not do so. Well, Peter hates Matthew in the Chosen TV or online series. Have you guys seen this? I thought it would be so cheesy, and I love it. Maybe you think it's cheesy. I recommend it. Um, I think it's really awesome, this series. But anyway, Peter hates Matthew in this series. Uh, So far, we're through two seasons. He still kind of pretty much hates Matthew. And it's because Matthew was stereotyped as a tax collector who would overtax and keep the difference. This was how tax collectors were viewed. We know from other passages in scriptures why they would be viewed this way legitimately. Um, and so, but Jesus doesn't just bring them together to tolerate each other, right? He brings them together to surface those stereotypes, to heal that in us, and then heal us in relationship. He brings us together to confront, to offend our minds, to get to our hearts. And so he brings them together in relationship. Well, since renewal has been happening here at the tab, we increasingly become diverse in race and in age and um, in all kinds of ways. And it's so exciting to see. And what, you know, what I would identify as renewal, renewal is to be Christ-centered and by the power of God to experience His will being accomplished in our lives and through our lives. Well, do you know what his will is? Do you know what his dream is for us regarding family on mission? It is that we be a beloved community. That every tribe, tongue, nation, and people be one together. Jesus said this, I've given them the glory that you've given me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. One as the Godhead, as the Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. This is Jesus' cry. This is his heart cry to the Father while he was on earth in prayer. Then the world will know. Listen to the purpose behind it too. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even, or excuse me, that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Here's the first part of our family on mission value. The father has adopted for himself a family made of every ethnic group and language. Our family is not defined by natural bloodline, social class, culture, affinity, or political tribalism, we are a family defined by Jesus. Mike Plunkett says it this way, this is our superculture. Above natural bloodline, above 
politics, above your affinities. This is our superculture of family on mission. You know, I woke up years ago to a, a close-eyed vision of the word Azusa. And some of you may be familiar of the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival was uh, the, what many believe to be the birthplace of the Pentecostal movement. It's still the fastest moving, uh, growing Christian movement uh, in the world today. And um, the revival was marked by extraordinary signs and wonders and miracles, salvations. And people would come from all over. And there was, uh, and William Seymour was the African-American leader of this revival. And Seymour said that though there were signs and wonders and miracles, I mean, a man's arm grew out in this, in this revival. God's glory was so strong in that place and for such a concentrated period of time. He said, though we've seen such things, the greatest mark of revival here is unity in diversity. Is the diversity that God brought to that place. Listen to this article. By mid-May 1906, anywhere from 300 to 1,500 people would attempt to fit into the building. People from a diversity of backgrounds came together to worship. Men, women, children, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, illiterate, and educated. People of all ages flocked to Los Angeles to, with both skepticism and a desire to participate. The intermingling of races and the group's encouragement of women in leadership was remarkable, as 1906 was the height of the Jim Crow era of racial segregation. In that context, we see a microcosm, an explosion of the heart of God. And what it still means today for multiplying missional movement in the earth. God's heart is for such oneness. And we get a, just a glimpse into heaven on earth at Azusa Street. It's not just for God's purposes to be accomplished, though. It's a bit deeper. This is related to his identity and our identity in him. Or should I say, our communal identity. You see, God said, let us make man in our image. The image of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, they're not one in three parts. They're one in three persons. This is why this remains a, min a mystery, right? You see, it's, it's, just, it's only the unity of God that can mess up our math, right? One plus one plus one is one. It's like <laughs> this kind of unity. This is God's heart for his people. That we be restored through the gospel into his image, or as he said it, our image. <laughs> Let us make man in our image. Guys, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have access to be restored to the image of God in our communal identity. 
in how we relate to each other. You might think, well, like, Steve, that's like way, what does it mean for me? What does that mean for us in family? What does it mean in relationship? I want to look at one facet of the Trinity's relationship to one another and their unity, and that is honor. The Father says to Jesus, of Jesus, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him, He says. (laughs) He says, I have glorified you and I will glorify you again. Or what about what Jesus says of the Father? The Father is greater than I. And I only do what he's commanded me to do. <laughs> Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and he will glorify me. Because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit and the Father glorify Jesus. Jesus sends us his spirit. Jesus honors the Father. And the Father honors Jesus. Do you see the the unity of relationship played out? And we know what each one's role is, right? From Scripture. It's plain. And, and we see how they operate to accomplish person, purpose and remain true to their perfect identity. One in three. Three in one person. And you know, Jesus' power, oh, and if it's not enough that he models this, he tells us, outdo one another in honoring each other. He also says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, you know, God's, Christ's power is not just for unity and diversity. Restoring us to our image uh, as his image bears. Breaking down the hostility wall between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, man and woman. Or fill in the blank in our cultural context, right? Reconciliation, unity. It's not just for that. It's not just for healing, as we saw in this passage too, right? Healing through Jesus' compassion. But His power is also to bless us amidst tragedy, spiritual and physical hunger and poverty, and even hate. Tim Keller says of verses 20 through 22 that that word blessed... Blessed are those who weep now. Blessed are those who are persecuted now for my name's sake. It's not just blessed are those who are persecuted now. It's blessed now those who are persecuted. How? (laughs) By the power of Jesus. And he says that word blessed means, it means to be deeply satisfied. And the only way to experience such deep satisfaction is in the context of such hate is in the context of such persecution, is in the context of such hunger. For God's power to be made perfect in that weakness. For God's power to come in and give us deep satisfaction of the life of God. I I was talking with a brother here earlier this week who said, 
I was on my deathbed, touch and go, for five days. And he said it was there that God removed the fear of death. He said it was there in my relationship with Jesus that I experienced such peace that I was good either way. (laughs) That is an example of blessed are those who are hurting now. Amen? And not only are we blessed in the midst of our pain, but we're able to love others in the midst of our pain, and we're able to love others who cause our pain. This blessing is far greater than we know, brothers and sisters, (laughs) unless you're in it, right? Because Jesus goes on in this passage, and I didn't read it this morning, but he goes on to say, love your enemies. Keller says this is where Jesus moves from the psychological to the sociological. It's not some veneer. Now just try harder to love the person who just spit in your face. Just just be real nice to them now. Do the right thing. This isn't that. (laughs) This is a supernatural love of God at work in our hearts in the worst of conditions. Amen. This is the power of Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is what it is to live as Christ or by his spirit or restored to his image. Our triune God is holy, perfect and perpetual love and union. Because of the cross, this is what we have access to. The last part of our family on mission value says our love and commitment for one another is forged in the crucible of mission. We are a sent family, one that goes and grows. Oh, nice. You're like, we've known that's been up there now. We knew they found it. There's room at this family's table for even more daughters and sons. And we welcome to our family even those that nobody else once. You see, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit don't just show us absolute harmony in perfect relationship, but they commission us. They commission us. We are co-missioned to go and grow together as a family on mission. And um, if you can go to the next slide. I want to look back at these two verses as we wrap up our time. A great number of people had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Okay. So... In Christ's pattern and power, this is the ministry to which we're called. And at our best as a family on mission, we are hearing and healing communities. It says that they went to hear him and to be healed by him. And how do we hear? As he, how do we operate as hearing communities? One way is we hear from the Lord something we're supposed to do. We're in relationship with one another, and we are held accountable to do what he told us to do. 
It's a beautiful way we hear God in community. Another way we hear God and hear him better together is in prayer. I was praying with Henry, the, uh, Henry earlier this week, and he had this beautiful revelation of David's indignation at uh, Goliath's blasphemy toward God and dishonor of God's people. And just that holy indignation. And from that, I got a revelation of how Israel, God's chosen people, you and me today, God's chosen people, were living beneath their identity, believing the lie that they were harassed and helpless and without a shepherd, cowering as a whole nation of people from this Philistine. And David comes as a literal shepherd, right? I mean, it's like too good. He comes as a literal shepherd, and Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the better shepherd. And we're getting this revelation in prayer. And we're just like, ah, <laughs> we praise you, Jesus. And, um, and so it's just, this is a picture of hearing together, choosing intentional community. Let's come together and hear together. But we're also at our best as healing communities. And we bring healing to one another, right? We weep with those who weep. One way we bring healing in community is we weep with each other in tragedy, in loss. And we bring healing through the ministry of Christ's presence together. Um, another way we bring healing in community is we pray for one another for healing, <laughs> for inner healing, for physical healing with what's going on with us because we're gathering intentionally and we're involved in each other's lives. And Jake, can you come up and play? Thanks. Um, but we also bring healing to communities, right? Uh, a month or two ago, a few of us went to the mall just to pray for some folks. And um, we had some, a couple awesome encounters, the, the last of which I want to talk about is especially beautiful to me. Uh, there was a woman there in a wheelchair at the mall and she was there with her husband, and a few of us went up to her and asked her if we could pray for her. Uh, she had had a stroke and um, had been in this wheelchair for about six years. And we began to just pray and for God's presence to come. And she confirmed that she was experiencing God's presence, and tears were flowing down her face. And we just started to then command strength back into her legs and for healing and for whatever was stopping things from her brain to her body to um, to begin to work again. And there was just this sense of increased grace and increased faith among the five of us there as we gathered to pray. And I just asked her, I just said, listen, this is no marker of um, spirituality, whether you do this or not. There's no you know, we don't, we don't put our faith in faith. It's not about having enough faith. You know, I just wanted her to know kind of where we were coming from as strangers <laughs> to her. Um, but um, would you be interested or willing to try to walk, you know, um, to exercise faith in what God might be doing, to try to do something that you couldn't do before? We put our faith in Jesus. We don't put our faith in faith. We don't put our... Um, but we also don't surrender to sickness, right? And so she said yes. She wanted to do that. And so um, we helped her walk around this closed kiosk that evening. And, uh, and just in prayer. And um, 
we took her back to her wheelchair and she sat down. She was not restored in her legs that night. And we cried together and um, she felt loved. And though it wasn't about us, we grew in our faith and from her faith. I mean, her faith was extraordinary, right? Um, that is it's the picture. And there wasn't even physical healing, right? But not that I know of. We didn't, she didn't get my number. I didn't get hers. So I, I wouldn't know if things changed later that night. And then they could have. But to experience a measure of God's love, healing, growing in community together, contending together, loving each other, this was a picture of community together. And even amidst, you know, um, even though she wasn't healed that I know of. So brothers and sisters, I just want to close by saying in the pattern of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's keep choosing His design for the beloved community. Let's keep choosing each other that our communities can be reached with the love of Jesus through who He's made us to be as a family on mission. Thanks.